Are we recording? No, too much, too much, too much, too much. Hey friends, welcome to Ducks Watch Together. I'm Josh. Kylie. And on today's episode, we talk about... Green Book. This Ninja Turtle I'm holding is green. Uh-huh. Yep. Cool. Okay. I've been Josh. But if we shouldn't we talk about the film? Oh, okay. It exists, and I, people are watching it. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to be the one to carry this film? You're going to... You're just going <laughs> to... Or this episode? Just going to put Mahershala and Vigo on your back, and like, here we go. We're going across the finish line with it. No, I just... Okay. So, this is part two of... Uh, uh, Oscar week, Oscar frontrunners week here on Ducks Watch Together. Something I've named just now, just so you all know. It has been workshopped for months on end, and yet here, we're just coming out with the name of it. And yet, it's still not very good. Yeah. Oscar's <laughs> frontrunner week. Frontrun week? Why aren't we talking about the frontrunner then? Jeez. He was in front for like a split second and then wasn't. Much like the film itself. Oh, life imitating art, art imitating life. Life itself. I need to watch that still. The only, the only true narrator, the only trustful narrator is life itself. There you go. Yeah, fantastic. Get ready to be pontificated to. What's a better (laughs) life itself? Green Book. Like, what's a better... You just said, what's a better... (laughs) I don't... What's a better film? I was trying to let you fill that in (laughs) with whatever gets you to say life itself is better than Green Book. It's gonna take... It's... What's I want you to know it's gonna be very hard for me to... I got this. I got this. What's the better movie featuring Mandy Patinkin... Well, see, that's an unqualification <laughs> because Mandy Patinkin's not in uh, Oh, Green you Book. didn't know that he had a very small part in, like, the very back corner of it. Am I judging his performance then? Or am I the movie itself? No, which movie does a better job of featuring the fact that Mandy Patinkin <laughs> is in it? Kylie, everybody. It's not the first time it's happened. It's certainly not the last time. What do you want from me, Josh? Alright, friends. You could ask, like, better supporting cast. I probably would say Life Itself. Life Itself. Like, Life Itself has a ton of great actors. Like, Green Book's got two actors who are in this film. But Life Itself's got, like, 16. What? Three words. Linda Cardellini. That's two words. I know. It was a joke. It's not a very good one. Doesn't mean it still wasn't one. Yeah, you're right. She is in it. Yeah. Great. Thank you. I was wrong. (laughs) And I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Respect the Cardellini. Okay. Yeah. Uh, We're here today to talk about Green Book because it's nominated for... Six Oscars, I want to say? It's playing here. It's playing here. It reopened here. Do you think we could name the six? Okay. Best on. picture. Picture. Are you going to look it up? And sure. I, okay. 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 All right. Hang okay. on. Let me, let's do this. You got one already before I even look it up. I love it. Thanks, Merlin. What? 
Mark five nominated for five Oscars. Picture. Wait, no, I'm gonna. Oh, okay. I yeah. thought you were gonna go run through them. No, no, okay. Supporting actor for Mahershala Ali. Bingo. Actor for Viggo Mortensen. Bingo. Uh, a, adapt original screenplay. Original screenplay. Original screenplay. Ooh, I need one more. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a technical. It's a below the line. Yeah, well, I know that. I've named all of the <laughs> other things it could have possibly been nominated for. And we know it's not director. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um. Below the line. Not sound. It's probably the most important below Score. the line category. Oh, below the line? Original song. No. <laughs> most Cinematography. Important. Ooh, no. Editing. There, there it is. <laughs> Editing. You don't think the original song is the most important below the line? I'm going to hot take you and say, nope, not at all. <laughs> Who else is nominated for Editing. Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Vice. Yikes. Yikes. All right. So, okay. That, that was our inquiry of the half fortnight. If you want to comment below. It's not a half fortnight, Kylie. It's a half squared. It's a half one fourth fortnight. The one fourth night? One night. <laughs> Tonight. Okay. okay. Um. Why are we Why are we doing this episode today on Green Book, Kylie? Uh. Do you want me to answer or do you want to answer? Why don't we both? Okay. Do you go first? Well, Josh was like, "Well, a while ago, we were trying to fill in the the calendar, the, the calendar, and I always go, Josh, no worries, we have a hole here. It's fine. It's fine. You're like, we just won't release an episode. No, like I was like, something will come out. Yeah. And we can talk about it. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's good. And then these things came out. And then, yeah. <laughs> okay. Then the nominations came out, and we were like, oh. <laughs> like, oh, we're not gonna get Can You Ever Forgive Me? Until not, maybe the week of? We're not gonna get Cold War. We're not gonna get anything. Cold War is interesting because it's an Amazon film, and Amazon's, like, advertising coming soon. But, like, when, Amazon? Yeah. We want to watch it. Because I was really holding off on answering your question until Cold War opened. And that just wasn't an option in case y'all are wondering. And so then I was like, Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book. And then more stuff came out about Bohemian Rhapsody. And I was like, I don't want to talk about Bohemian Rhapsody. So the original idea for this episode was that we were going to do Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book together. Uh, as like these are the controversial nominations of 2019 in in honor of like, we did this uh, two years ago for Hacksaw Ridge last year we talked about the Oscar movies but there wasn't anything that I think that was super I mean we did talk about three billboards but we had a whole episode on that itself anyway mm-hmm. so but I don't think three three billboards is as controversial in terms of in similar ways as uh, conversation as Hacksaw and these two films. Three billboards were made by people who don't have heat on them. Yes. As as working professionals or as humans themselves. Uh, It was just a film that maybe wrong place, wrong time. And it was a good film to have in the cultural conversation about what our culture and society needs to be and where we can go and where we are. And so, yes, I think it was a good conversational film. <sighs> okay, so 
the original idea, like I said, was to do this episode as do Roma, and then we wanted to do a Best Picture nominee that we think is well-liked and that at least one of us liked that was probably not going to be featured in our Duckies episode, which is our Best of the Year, which happens the week before the Oscars. Which is why we didn't talk about something like The Favorite, because I was like, Josh... It will feel redundant if we do, t- do the favorite, then we do Lego Movie 2, spoilers, and then we do the duckies. Yes. So, um, we did Roma, and then I was like, great, let's talk about both controversial films and one thing here. And then there's two reasons why this episode is theoretically, not theoretically, why this episode is just about Green Book. And I'll talk very briefly here on Bohemian Rhapsody, because I'm the one that wants to talk about Bohemian Rhapsody for even an ounce of moments. And I don't want to talk about it for too very long, but I do feel the need to talk about this movie. I also will preface this by saying I do feel the need to talk about this movie that I've not seen. Okay, so I want to put that out there. I didn't see it in theaters. I started out not seeing it in theaters for moralistic reasons. And then totally will admit that there was a moment where it reopened and I was like... It reopened? It did. It was around the Golden Globe, so it was the very first of the year. Maybe it just never closed, but they added a couple more showtimes. Okay. Like it was hanging on that one showtime. And then they went back up to three for like a week. Okay. And I was planning on seeing it that week, but then I got very busy and couldn't. And then it went away. And then more things came out about Brian Singer and Bohemian Rhapsody. And I could have paid 20 bucks to see it this week. I could have owned it digitally. And I chose not to. I will experience this film when I can watch it for free or for a dollar. Like, that's, that's when I will experience this film. When I can give as little money to this conversation as possible. So... Bohemian Rhapsody is directed by Brian Singer. Brian Singer, um, I'm gonna get to Brian Singer in one second. That's one of the reasons I have issues with Bohemian Rhapsody. The lesser issue, which I will start with, is that Bohemian Rhapsody, I don't believe, I I don't go to narrative films for 100% history. That's not what I go to narrative films for. But Bohemian Rhapsody as a film plays fast and loose with the truth of what um, Freddie Mercury's life is. Hey, right when we get into Green Book, Josh. <laughs> yes, it is a similar issue I have with Green Book. And it plays fast and loose with it to the point where it, it the Live Aid performance, which is the kind of climactic sequence of Green Book. Yes, of Bohemian, oh, 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 Bohemian Rhapsody, sorry. Yeah, my favorite part was when Vigo was like, instead of going to Burma. <laughs> Going down to Alabama. Let's go to Live Aid. Yeah, right. Um, The Live Aid sequence, which is the climactic moment of Bohemian Rhapsody, is framed in a way that... I'm going to ask you to articulate this. How is it framed in terms of... Because you've seen it. In terms of his reveal that he has AIDS. Um, So what it is, is like... Two hours of nothing happens, and then... (laughs) Um, it's essentially after he's gone and tried to be a solo artist, he finds out that he, um, has AIDS and then he goes to the manager. He's like, yo, can we get the band back together, uh, for that concert to help Africa? And he's like, maybe. 
So the band gets back together. It's like at rehearsal number one or two. It's the only rehearsal we see. He's right. like, hey, everyone. I've been, I'm sick. And they're like, oh, so sad. And he's like, don't feel bad for me. And then cut to Live Aid. So the actual reveal in Freddie Mercury's life of when he has AIDS is not till after Live Aid. Um, and the band continues to tour after Live Aid. One of the reasons I think that, well, yeah, because like, yeah, okay, so here's what I know. Because yeah. I don't know much about Freddie Mercury. My understanding of things is that one the big one of the bigger reveals is the song The Show Must Go On. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. like that's like his way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Which comes after that. Like that's yep. one of the very last yes. things that he produces as part of Queen. Yeah. And so like that's what I know that song as. That's him like admitting it to everyone. And like I guess I don't know if Queen, the other his bandmates know. Ever. Yeah. I don't know when they know. They know, and like th- th- that reveal is there. That's okay. all around that same time, and that all happens after Live Aid. Okay. And so... The, he doesn't reveal... It's never shown in the film him revealing it to, like, the world. Yes, yeah, yeah. And so that is just, to me, this fundamental, like, you're just changing something because you think it's a better story element. The other thing that's true is that people who knew Freddie Mercury have said that the band, uh, who is very much involved with the making of this film, the remaining band members that, that are alive... It's... It's... The bassist isn't. Yes. Because he's no longer part of Queen, though. Yes. He... After, after Freddie's death, he's like... I think I'm done with Queen. Yeah. Um, and so it's the drummer and the guitarist. And so they are a lot, they're telling the story and from what is said, and again, this is all hearsay, you can go read this yourselves. Basically, the film changes Freddie Mercury's story and makes the band look better. And that's its whole intent, was that the, the two, the drummer and the guitarist, were like, no, we want to look good in this story. And it's basically more about them and their dealing with it, dealing with Freddie Mercury, than it is about Freddie Mercury as a person. You can definitely say if that sentence yeah. is... Yeah. Um, the film posits that this band matters to yeah. Freddie Mercury. However, the film never takes the time to make the band members matter to me as the audience. Yes. Which is one of the biggest things, but yeah, it... The big the big thing about Freddie Mercury in this film and his, like, big, like, emotional arc is that he's like, I needed people to tell me no. Because when I went off and did my solo career and it failed, it's because no one said no to me. But you guys always said no to me. You guys pushed or held me yeah. back from going too far. And that's what I needed. Freddie Mercury. A musical genius, but y'all are my stop signs. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how that's... Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> And so, not taking anything away from Rami Malek, who, as time goes on, I'm more and more willing to say, Rami Malek is the frontrunner to win for Best Actor this year, for whatever that's worth. And another thing about this film is that it's, this film, without knowing any of the backstory, is stitched, it feels stitched together. These scenes do not you do not they fit together slowly because you've told me they do but to go from point a to point b to point c in this film is very like you're forcing me to believe that this is how it all worked out yeah and i think that has to do was brian singer fired from this brian singer was fired from this movie yes and dexter fletcher director of rocket man director of my favorite film 2019 rocket man yeah uh i i'm like really worried that it was arctic (laughs) 
Arctic, okay? No, sorry, no. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. Second favorite sorry, film. Sorry, sorry, my favorite fantasy film of yeah. 2019. Based on a true fantasy. See, that's where you get me. Yeah. That's what... That's where I'm like... Not based on a true friendship. (laughs) No. Like Green Book. It needs to be based on a true fantasy because then you can make stuff up. Yeah. Like, they've... they've, The loophole. So, Dexter Fletcher came in after Brian Singer was fired from this film to finish it up. So I get why it's there. Uh, Why that feels such together. Did Bohemian Rhapsody nominated for editing? Is that what we just read? Bad, bad choice! Here's my theory on this. Filmmaking is the editor's medium. Uh-huh. It is it is the, the biggest non-secret in Hollywood, biggest secret non-secret in Hollywood, that the, that the actual person who puts the film together, the person who has the most say about how a film feels, is the editor. Yeah, and George so, Lucas's wife. Yes, George Lucas's wife, yes. So, she does them all. <laughs> That's why yeah. some of the Star Wars work, and some, some of, of the other don't. don't. Because George Lucas, much like <laughs> Freddie Mercury, uh-huh. was never told no! He didn't have a stop sign. Uh-huh. didn't have a stop sign. George Lucas, I am gonna compare you to everyone I can from now on. <laughs> so... I think the reason why it's nominated for Best Editing is because to know the story that, like, Brian Singer got fired, Dexter Fletcher came on, like, it was a hectic set. and like, felt bad for this guy? Basically, the fact that the movie works at all is probably a feat of editing. And I would bet the editors in the room the, who are nominating know that, and that's why that film is nominated. All like, all, it's like all the money in the world. It's like all the money in the world. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, did you know that? As directed by Christopher Plummer. Yeah, Christopher yes. Plummer got nominated for editing, right? Yeah, absolutely. He, that... <laughs> no, don't blame the editor for... No, this was directed by Christopher Plummer. <laughs> he just uses the pseudonym Dexter Fletcher. Yeah, yeah. What was his name, Dexter Fletcher? Yeah. That's a Star Wars character's name, I'm pretty sure. No, that's, uh... <laughs> it Dexter Jetster? You're thinking of Dexter Jetster. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> but you understand my confusion. Yes, I do. With his Greek I do. mustache. I do, I do. Okay, this this is the part of the podcast where even though we're laughing, we have to talk about serious things. And Kylie's going to leave. And that's totally fine. I'm going to water! Yeah. Because, so... My moralistic reasons of why I will not pay more than nothing or a dollar, even if a dollar, to see Bohemian Rhapsody is director, credited director, Brian Singer. Brian Singer is, and has always been known as, a not good human. He was, he's not fun to work with on sets. He's very difficult to work with historically, but his films have made money, so people have put up with him. The actual reason Brian Singer was fired from this film has nothing to do with the sexual allegations that are given towards Brian Singer. He was actually fired because he is difficult to work with, angry, aggressive, and Rami Malek went, no, I'm not coming to set unless you fire Brian Singer and you've already filmed half of this movie and you can't afford to not do it without me. And so Rami Malek stood up to awful human Brian Singer. So I have no issues with Rami Malek and I have no issues with his performance, which I haven't seen. (laughs) 
fine. <laughs> Robbie Malik may have done some good in this world by getting Brian Singer fired from this film. Within that being said, I even believe on this podcast before, or maybe not, I have said this sentence out loud before about Brian Singer and his allegations that we needed to hear more about what happened and we needed the, the court to decide on what things that happened. Because previously, when his allegations came out around the time of X-Men Apocalypse, it was very hearsay and nothing proof positive about Brian Singer. That being said, we are now in a different time. We're in a time where those things have come out. Those allegations have come out even more so, and there is now more proof positive that Brian Singer is a person who should not be in or around um, not only people in general, but especially children. Uh, and I will let you go look up the specific allegations of Brian Singer. I'm not well versed enough to say, to give you the specific details of what they are, but knowing that there are inappropriate acts that he's accused of with boys and with children. And then the fact that he has said in interviews, or not, he said in interviews, he said to Rami Malik, who has said in interviews, that Brian Singer has seen himself in the character of Freddie Mercury, which is why he wanted to do the film. And that, to me, is uncomfortable on so, 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 so many levels that I do not, will not, don't want to engage with this movie in any sort of way that gives it some sort of financial benefit. Um, I may never watch this movie. I just might, I might not. Despite the fact that, like, I, I want to see all the best pictures and I want to see all of, um, you know, the, the I want to be engaged in this conversation. But I don't think Brian Singer is a person that I want to support in any way, shape, or form. I'm kind of bummed that, like, all of the X-Men movies, which I really like and adore, are Brian Singer films. And I will eventually have to come to some... To, to some realization of I can either watch those films again or I can't. Um, and so it's difficult in terms of separating the art from the artist, but I do know that I don't want to support Bohemian Rhapsody because all of this was going on at a time where Brian Singer was known to be a pretty trash human. And yeah. So that's why I don't want to engage with Bohemian Rhapsody, and that's why I, I choose... That's one of the reasons why we're not doing a quote-unquote whole episode on it, although I'm pretty sure we just did 20 minutes on it, so... <sighs> I think there were four minutes of other stuff we were Great. talking about. Perfect. All right, here we go, everyone. Green Book. Do we have an inquiry of the half Fortnite? Uh, yes, because I don't... What are your thoughts on Bohemian Rhapsody? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I... Yeah, sure. No, no wait, no, 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 no I want no, a real no, no, one. I want a real one. All right, Inquiry of the Half-Squared Fortnite is more related to Green Book because I don't think that we have... I don't think that we have talked about this on the podcast before. So, Kylie, what is your least favorite picture movie that's won an Oscar? Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Why Chicago? <laughs> um... The one that keeps coming to my mind is Blindside. Yeah? Which is Sandy. Mm -hmm. Sandy wins it, which, yeah. like... Why? 
Why? She's like she gave a good performance, sure, but like why? Why did she win this? I I mean, to vaguely start the conversation on what some of our issues with Green Book are, similar reasons. Okay. Like it's I. In a lot of ways, it's 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 another white savior trope, mm-hmm. and people want to feel good about themselves. Uh, I also don't really like life is beautiful. Do you know what life is beautiful is? No. Life. Is, I mean, I, no. Li- okay. <laughs> You've told me a couple life times. Life is beautiful but, yeah. is like it's a comedy that takes place, and I don't even know if comedy is the right word, but it tries to be a comedy that takes place in the middle of the Holocaust. And I just want to tell you all that it wasn't a happy, fun time. Life was not beautiful during the Holocaust for the prisoners in those camps. I'm sorry. That, it's... I don't understand. It's Roberto Benigni, right? I don't know. Yes. Can I ask you a question? It won three things, Josh. I know. It won... um, Language, film, Language. It had the worst language. It was swears all over the place. What's what's your question? Okay. Roberto Bonini. Sure. Is he Jewish? Oh, I don't know. Josh, I'm going to say something. You can... Still bring down your own... uh... No, 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 I know. I know you can. I just want to, like, know the... Like, I want to know what his backstory is and to where he's coming at it from. Well, okay, so I only just looked at his Wikipedia. Okay. Uh, no. No, okay. Yeah. So, no, he's not Jewish, doesn't have... I mean, I don't know if he's connected with the Holocaust or in history in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. That to me is very. Popular. He was raised Catholic and sir, he was raised Catholic. Okay, so yeah, that to me is the issue. Mm-hmm. Like, in one of the issues is like, if it was somebody who was trying to come at this from a personal experience of like, I grew up in the Holocaust times and we still found beauty in life, I would accept that more. Mm-hmm. But as this is the scenario. Where I I, pers- I don't believe, based on my knowledge, that he has any connection to it, it makes it even more problematic. Yeah, you wanna you wanna do something that's similar that looks at the good part of life, even though you're living in this horrific thing. It's called the Diary of Anne Frank. Yeah. As a 14 year old, she understood that even though life was terrible at the time, there were still some things to find happiness in. Yeah. Now Anne Frank, when her diary is being written, she is in hiding and she is not in the concentration camp itself. But that is a far closer and better representation of anything that Life is Beautiful did. Um, I'm going to take us in a different direction because this, the, just, this is this is a good answer. <laughs> I just like, we're going to talk about a lot of heavy things, so I'm going to take us in like, hey, Crash! <laughs> no, no, we're not going to talk about Crash either because Crash fits into the Green Shakespeare Book conversation. Love. Uh, that's, that's Harvey Weinstein, that's the Me Too conversation. Oh no, the Titanic! <laughs> no, Hot Titanic is fine. I'm going to go with the artist. Okay? <laughs> Because we pleasure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not that I think that 2011 was like real great shakes in terms of like the Oscar nominations or what should have won. Because when you look at that year in terms of what is there and what could possibly win, Suicide Squad. I'm like, I don't know, Moneyball. Um, <laughs> Suicide like, Squad won everyone. It did. It's true. It beat Star Trek Beyond. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. 
The Artist is a pleasant film at best. Did you watch it? it? Is... Did you watch it? We we pleasure. I did. It was. I smiled through some of the film. <laughs> it is. It is a perfectly serviceable remake of Singing in the Rain. Like, I have Singing in the Rain. I know what Singing in the Rain is. I've watched that movie a lot. I don't need the artist. I don't need a, a, a white dude's, like, struggle bus version of it. Like, don't care. John Goodman's good in that movie. Um, but, like... Is a silent film? Yes, technically. Yes, it's a silent <laughs> film. There is one pivotal sequence that has sound, however. Okay. Um... It's fine for what it is, but it's not the best picture. Like, I'm going to look up the other nominations because I think almost any of them would have been fine. All right. The other nominees were The Descendants. Better film. Extremely loud and incredibly close. Worst film. Oh, it's a fun game. Okay. (laughs) The Help. Oh, uh, equal? (laughs) Equal. (laughs) But problematic maybe also. Hugo. Oh, better film. Midnight in Paris. Better film, but problematic. Moneyball. Best film of this list, probably. <laughs> I'm excited for the next one. The Tree of Life. Oh, God. <laughs> worse. Worse. Oh, oh, here we go, Josh. Warhorse. Oh, God. War- what a special year. What a special <laughs> year at the Oscars. Like, huh. Steven Spielberg directed a war film? Well, we got it nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, but he also directed uh, this Tintin movie over here that might be somewhat better. Did it, get, it might have got nominated for Best Animated. animated. Anyway, uh, The Descendants... No, it didn't! Oh. Uh, here's the nominated list for animation. Okay, great. It's great. Rango. Uh-huh. A Cat in Paris. Actually a good film. Uh-huh. Chico and Rita. Never heard of it. Good film. Kung Fu Panda 2. And, of course... Puss in Boots. What are we doing, 2012? <laughs> what the crap are we doing? Films of 2011. So sorry. But, like, literally... Feel welcome to 2011. <laughs> Listeners, if you want to name an actual great movie from 2011, you can do so in the comments below. You can do so at friendofafriendpodcast.squarespace.com. You can also do so at Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You can give us a five-star review or any star better, review. Josh. So hit that subscribe button. And you Meryl can help Stre- us get listeners. Meryl Streep was best This action. is the Iron Lady year! Oh, the Iron Lady! You can also find us on Facebook at... Friend of a Friend podcast, and now on with the show, or more of Terrible 2011. I'm I'm pretty happy with Best Supporting Actor. I I can't say whether Best Supporting Actress was good or not, but it started the tradition that we broke. Okay. Uh, Best Supporting Actor, Christopher Plummer for Beginners. Great! 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 Uh, Best Supporting Actress, Octavia Spencer for The Help. And this is the, we start the tradition of we're going to nominate Octavia Spencer. Always. When she's in a film. Listen, if Octavia Spencer is the new Meryl Streep, I am fine with life. (laughs) That's a good new Meryl Streep. I'm okay with it. Okay, and then I'm done talking about everything. This was the year where I was like, maybe Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 should have won things. Because maybe nothing else is worthwhile. Okay, Moneyball and The Descendants, I guess, are my favorite two out of this bunch of this Hey, that won an Oscar. Moneyball? No. The The Descendants? The Descendants. Yeah, for something. Yeah. What is it? Uh, Best Adapted Screenplay. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, good job, Alexander Payne. Yeah. 
Yeah, just like looking. Uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo was also this year. Man, this year. Albert Knobs. <laughs> the Muppets. Rio. <laughs> Listen, the best list on this whole. Th- the best film, hands down, on this whole everything that's nominated for an Oscar, if you're making me put the Harry Potter films aside, is Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Like. Not real steel. <laughs> not real steel. <laughs> And then maybe follow closely. What about Hugo? But oh, I like Hugo. You a like lot. Hugo, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm okay. But I mean, also Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. No one cared about Hugo, though. <laughs> All right. Anyways, Josh. Uh, La Luna, short animated film. It's great. Okay. Great. Is that where we're on the moon and we're, we're yeah, punching we're, yeah, stars? La Luna. Okay. Anyways, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I, I sorry, I just forgot that I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> We've spent a lot of time on the, the year we didn't care about, 2011. <laughs> yeah. 2011, the year we don't care about of our father. All right, everyone. So, Green Book. So, Josh, remember how you're like, it was all a lie when you're talking about Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah. You want to hear something about Green Book? It's all a lie. It's all a lie. Oh, crazy. I'm a caveman. Okay, so I think I need to first talk about the. <laughs> I think Sorry. I need to talk about the most important scene of this film. Oh, okay, yeah. The chicken scene? No. That, oh, okay. That wasn't my most important scene. Oh, okay. See, I had seen that in the trailer. Oh, okay. So I was no, like... That's your most important scene. My most important scene. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we've been introduced to Viggo Mortensen. Okay. No one cares. Don't Literally, know. he's playing Mario, okay? <laughs> Viggo Mortensen was nominated for playing Mario. <laughs> Mario, Mario. Mario. They're like, mm, we've seen Bob Haskins do this, but now we will nominate Vigo. <laughs> Is this his third time being nominated? Yeah. Who did it? <laughs> do you know what they're for? Well, yeah, Captain Fantastic in the Eastern Provinces. Good job. Don't don't come at me with this like whole Vigo Mortensen knowledge. She said when she saw the trailer, not recognizing Vigo Mortensen until Sorry. she finally saw the film. <laughs> Sorry, who knows? It could you could have been like, oh no, Hidalgo. <laughs> No. <laughs> a history of violence? Possibly. That would have been my next yeah. best guess if yeah. I didn't know. Okay, Um. so, most important scene, he comes home, it's okay. nighttime. Okay. Linda Cardellini, where is she? She's in bed. Bed, okay, okay. perfect. Gotta I always know where the Cardellini is. <laughs> That's the real thing, we yeah. don't always know. Yeah. She doesn't... Does she leave the house in this film? Mm. Oh, she walks oh, she out. she goes on, outside. She walks on the curb. Does that count? To say goodbye to her man. <laughs> Does that count? No. Okay. Because okay. it's in service of saying goodbye to the man. Yes. And then she goes, she promptly goes back into the home. Does this film pass the Bechdel test? No. No. Yeah. No. No. Fine. Wait, no. Wait, it does. It does. Oh, it does. Oh, oh. It does. Well, how? She, she talks to her sister or sister-in-law or random person during di- no no hear me out during Christmas Eve dinner and they ask if she, she asks do you need any help with the cooking and the woman says no does she have a name oh you're right oh I don't know that's the real issue I guess there you go all I can say is that they talk about something that's not a man so we're getting home from the Copacabana. Copa, Copa, Copacabana. I once did a uh, baton performance to that song. Uh-huh. Probably shouldn't have. That is a song about. I'm and I'm in fourth grade. Probably that song is about people getting murdered at a club. Yeah, but it's Barry Manilow. 
Like, you know. Oh, congratulations. Hey, it's Barry. I was a fourth grader. Yeah, well, you didn't know then. (laughs) (laughs) So. I think drugs might be involved. Uh, so, most important part of the film. Yeah, geez, Kylie, why are you so distracted? Okay, so he gets to the fridge of his home. He opens it. He pulls out a glass bottle of milk and proceeds to rub it on his face. Uh Uh-huh. This is, like, within the first ten minutes of the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. But, like, it stuck with me. Yeah, because is. Yeah, I... you since yesterday. <laughs> I left. I went to the bathroom. I texted you that comment. And then I went back into the film. <laughs> I like that you had to leave. You're like, I need to tell Josh. Well, I need to go to the bathroom, too. And I figured that I wasn't going to miss anything in the film. You've already seen the milk. You're good. Yeah. He rubs the bottle on his face. And I was like, oh my gosh, someone else does that too. <laughs> yeah, but you do it with like a plastic jug, dude. Like, how does that like? His is the cold. Yeah. Like, oh, it feels so good, okay, Josh. Fair enough. Like, like, uh, I have this thing about like, like touch. Like, there are some things I can't touch. Like, I can't like rub my own hand against itself because that, that freaks me out. Uh-huh. However, unless my hands are like wet. Can do this? If I'm washing my hands, it's fine. Okay. No, it's like, oh, they gotta be, they got they got, there has to be a little bit of moisture. Are you not a brave friend? Oh, a Sorry. what? A what? I This is my symbol for my kids when they're feeling when, like they need to show their bravery or if they're not feeling brave, they can rub their hands together and well, we can talk about why they need to feel like what we can do. What if they don't like brave. touching their own hands? Nobody's come up with this issue yet. I will give them a secondary <laughs> option if that's true. Like I also like like a f- like running a fork through my hair, but I can't do that very often because it feels good. People I, I will imagine. feel people yeah, will I, be like I imagine that feels good. would be like, huh? Great. So Green Book? <laughs> So it's like when I watch Dial of Dogs and I want to rub the puppets on my teeth. <laughs> I just can't. I don't know why. I can't describe it. This episode is all over the place. <laughs> so, so that's where that is the most important scene. I'm not alone. He doesn't do another tick like that in the rest of the film, but it's just nice to know that we had a little bit of representation. All right, all right. You wanna, <laughs> you wanna, you wanna see this here? I got some, I got some segue chops. You ready to hear them? You feel that you're not alone in that scene. Uh, all the old white people who love this movie feel they're not alone with this movie either. You know why? Because there was a white savior in this movie. Okay, so yeah. Hey. Yeah. This film. Whew. Some issues. We switched. We went back. Are we gonna talk about why it's not true? Yeah. Okay. That was your point. So it's just I was not very. Let you it, do it. Like, okay, so, um, uh, Donald. Hmm, what's his last name? Sutherland. Cindy? N- no, the pianist. Oh. Shirley. Do- Donald Shirley. Yeah. So, Donald Shirley, who, uh, didn't rec- realize was the, uh, didn't realize was the uh, subject of this film until I sat down and started watching it. And then he showed up. And then his name got said, and uh-huh. I was like, oh. Do you have, like, outside cultural context to Don Shirley? Very, very little. Okay. Very okay. little. Uh, but more than I. Yeah. So, like, one of the things that I know him um, is that he is part of the civil rights movement. Yes. Uh, friend of Martin Luther King. He's there for Selma and things. So he, he's part of, he's part of the civil rights action. This film, however, would lead you to believe that he didn't care or do anything about the civil rights uh, movement as it was happening. Because the film film posits that he 
is an outsider from the African-American community. He's an outsider from the white community. He's pretty much an outsider. Yes. It also posits that um, he wasn't close with his family. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, I read an article last night and it was uh, interviewed with his nephew who was like, no, like, my uncle was very involved in my life and was very close and, like, during that whole time, like, we were very much... In contact. In contact and part of the family. Um, another thing is that Tony, the lip... Got fired. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> this whole friendship, not really a real thing. Well, and his family, Don Shirley's family, has also said that no, and through all of the years, while he was very nice and professional and caring towards anybody who ever worked for him, he would have never considered any of them to be his friends. Mm -hmm. Like, he just, he kept a professional relationship and personal relationships, and he kept a very strict line. And that one of the people who want, the the side of the families that wanted to make this film was more of the Tony... The Valongas. Yeah, like, his children had first approached him wanting to make this film, and that, and Don had said, no, I'm not interested in seeing myself portrayed in a film. Yeah. And so, like, very fair reasoning. So here I come, 2018, and we're gonna make a film like this. Let here's what I'm gonna say. <clears throat> As you said before, you go into a narrative film; it doesn't have to be 100% truthful. Yes, probably should be some truth yes. to at least the characterization of yes. the people. Yes, um, which is one of the hardest things of that biopics do, especially when we're trying to make a film about great people who have done great things because they don't always just focus on the people as characters or mm -hmm. as themselves which is what what biopics should do yes the good biopics remember <laughs> that the great person is also a character that we need to be relating to mm -hmm. and so it's usually this film i feel just doesn't create a character for donald shirley for who he was yeah. and the film wants to make the hero of the film be Tony Vallelonga, not Don Shirley. And that, to me, is a big problem with this film. It, when you watch the film, even, as I, even if I'm looking at it, like, Tony is not somebody who I want to hold up as a hero. Not that he didn't do a good thing, if there's any nugget of truth in this story, but... Shirley is the one who's actually going on stage and actually breaking boundaries and actually doing the hard work. And yes, it is hard work for Nick Vallelonga to overcome his racial thoughts towards Tony, Don Shirley. Not um, Nick. Sorry, t Tony, not Nick. Um, to overcome his his racial thoughts towards uh, Don Shirley. That's work, and that is a story that probably needs to be told. It just doesn't need to come at the expense of what Don Shirley did. And I feel like at this at this point, the film doesn't ever... The film's journey of him getting over it is like... It's so hidden in all of everything yeah. that's happening. Like... Like, the film starts out with, like... Uh, Viggo Mortensen's character th throwing away two glasses that two repairman of color had drank from when they were like f fixing his floor or his sink or whatever yeah. and so like you're kind of like okay well i have a starting starting line but the fact of the matter is like 
he just kind of accepts and goes along with stuff this whole time and it doesn't seem to be much of a pushback from him when you've set up that there should be some form of pushback yeah but like it's just like it it makes it seem so easy yep agreed uh a lot of the things about this film are very easy um the film also <clears throat> the film also posits uh donald shirley's uh sexuality in this film yep. and i feel like peter farley mm-hmm, fairly fairly mm-hmm. uh fairly uh he seemed very uncomfortable with having yeah. to explore that and he didn't do it in any sort of depth yeah he and, just presented it and yeah. so it's kind of and like that's mulled over and accepted a lot quicker and easier than anything else in this film when which like it should have been for anything it should have been a part of this film however it's a scene and then we're all fine and it's a scene again that's made it out to be that tony is the hero because he comes in and saves him and accepts him for who he is mm-hmm. which which in this film i'm kind of at this point if i'm like why present it if you're a not going to explore it B, if we're not because that in itself we're already in an interesting spot if we follow don shirley's life at this time that's already interesting but mm-hmm. you've brought in this another um this another system of oppression that he faces yeah. and you don't explore it no. and so why why introduce it um a point that i wanted to make at the beginning and then i lost my point precisely is that this film you don't need to base on true characters you can even say like yeah there was once this guy who drove drove another guy but you could create a different story and create new characters and then we wouldn't have this issue of like everything was a lie yeah we wouldn't be beholden to some sort of truth Mm -hmm. when in reality if this is the story you want to tell you would be better served like you're saying just making new characters Mm -hmm. make up a story and you could even say inspired by a true event but these characters are not names and events have been changed Mm -hmm. for what you know yeah yeah i think that's kind of my issue with the film on the whole is that it's not it's the filmmaking is fine it's not bad i'm not gonna argue that this is a poorly made film it's serviceable serviceable and workmanlike and that i don't mean those as like insults per se it's just to say that nothing this is probably quote unquote above average Filmmaking. filmmaking you know but what it is here that is problematic is that this film calls back to this tradition of and this is some of my issues with the film and i've in like pulling up the curtain i haven't seen this one since thanksgiving and it's the beginning of february and where we're talking about it so, i watched it last night um i i yeah <laughs> so that's totally fair i watched uh, roma finished Roma about 30 minutes before we had to record and watch this last night. I am (laughs) on board. I am not (laughs) wasting time. Uh, so I might have some of the details a little bit foggy in my brain and Kylie can correct me if that's true, but some of my issues with the film are more so in that green book continues this tradition that we talked a little bit about crash and the blind side and the real kind of like, comparison point to this is driving miss daisy it is these movies that come in and they're trying to deal with racism uh the america specifically american racism uh towards african americans in the civil rights era and before that you know in this era of 40s to early 70s you know 
And it deals with them in this way of it's one small story and it's this idea that if if one person, if we change one person's mind, we'll break the dam eventually and it'll all change. And and it's okay that we can look at these people who have these racist ideals and watch them come to learn that one person is 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 different and that's better. And they then become the savior of this race of this race that they're accepting now into their formerly cold hearts okay sure that's one way that we can look at racism in america and that's one way that for many years Hollywood did look at race in America. You either got films like that or you got films like 12 Years a Slave and Roots and all of these even kind of like glory in this way of like you're either you're either that or you're a slave. And that's what that's what that's what the conversation was in terms of race in America, which is why films like The Color Purple end up being a little bit I think different in the sense of we are at least trying to somewhat kind of maybe start a dialogue of telling a somewhat kind of maybe slightly different story. Not a lot. It's like a point zero 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 one. You but... sound like Spielberg in that. Yes. I tried <laughs> something, but I was a little embarrassed to do it. And and I will say that, you know, we talked a lot about the color purple in our Spielberg episodes in terms of like who and why and how, but doing some research into the community, I still think like that that that's problematic in the sense of that Spielberg probably shouldn't have been the one doing it. But at the time, actors like Oprah and Whoopi Goldberg were very praising of Spielberg to be able to take his power and influence and use it for a story like The Color Purple. So there, there is that to be said as well. Anyway, double this back to Green Book. We are not in that time anymore. We are in a time where the conversation should... We are getting films like Selma and like Moonlight and even like Bill Street, Street and... Talk. Black Panther. Black Panther, Black Klansman. Like, Mm -hmm. we are now in a time... Get out. Um, We are now in a time that the conversation about race in America, in film in particular, is, can, and should be more advanced than what we are getting here in Green Book. And Green Book feels like a step backwards in this conversation. Especially because... Over a film like If Beale Street Could Talk, this is the one that's getting the nominations. This is the one that's getting out there and being financially seen and successful. And it's because it feels like it's something that's more comfortable to watch. You never watch this film and think anything bad is going to happen to any of these characters, even though genuine horrid atrocities are taking place towards Don Shirley in this film. And you're like, well... Tony's gonna come Tony the Lips got it. Yeah, Tony's here, everybody. Mario's coming out with Vigo, and it's fine. That's the frustrating part to me, is that it's being held up as a great cinematic achievement. And if you listen to the older generation talk about this film, it's so wonderful and it's so moving and it's very. But it's it's so repeat and so rote that it just can't be those things. And if you're truly watching what cinema is coming out there, I'm not even talking about like independent cinema or art house cinema, which is probably doing a lot more to this conversation, but just mainstream cinema. 
is changing. And we need to... Even a film... I'm sorry. Even a film like Black Panther is more nuanced in its conversation about race than Green Book. So I have a question. Yeah. I'm going to bring forth a film from last year. Okay. That I really liked. Uh I don't think you disliked. Okay. It's called Wind River. Okay. Uh, Because I think that... Because Wind River, we had a conversation about, like, this version of the white savior, of Jeremy Renner coming in. And why was it when we saw a film like Wind River, we weren't like, ugh, 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 what what are you doing, films? What are you doing, cinema? Where we were kind of just like, yeah, there's some problems here, Uh but but, but we had some sort of a backup. So why is a film like that... Why was it when we came in on that, we were kind of like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. But here with Green Book, we're like, no, we're tired of seeing this. I think twofold. Okay. My second point, my first point, not as important as my second point. Okay. First point, Wind River's a better film. <laughs> okay. Like. All right. <laughs> like, like I said, not as important as the second point, but I do think that that is a simple fact. Mm-hmm. Wind River is a better film than Green Book is, and therefore the conversations, the lack of nuance in that film goes a little bit more by the wayside. Okay. Secondarily, and I have, I've only seen the film once, Mm -hmm. so I don't, I can't totally speak in clarity to some of the specifics, but at least in my memory, it felt like to me, the Native American characters in that movie, they were given more, um reverence and they were given more of a voice to speak on their the problems and the plight that they're facing in America. And while we did follow Jeremy Renner's character, which is why I, I think I spoke specifically on like it's a little bit of a white savior movie, I, I think that because there is some attempt, more of an attempt to, to not gloss over their story, mm-hmm. that is for me why Wind River is more successful than Green Book. And I, yeah. Could it also be because Wind River, I feel, isn't about ending racism? Yes, agreed. Uh, Wind River is about a man essentially overcoming the death of his yes, child. Yes, really good point. Um, yes. And so I wonder if that's even more why we're like why we even are back up a film like that a little bit more than this because green book central theme racism bad yeah okay uh wind river central theme is overcoming the death of a child and how you might go through that yeah yeah and so i wonder if that's even part of it is like what is the what's the main idea you're trying to say yeah and what effect does that have and because the idea that green book is trying to put forward is not a new one and it's Acting like it's a new one. It's mm-hmm. that Peter Fairley is out there, especially in his Golden Globe speech, acting like he's created a new genre of film, and that if we can all aspire to be just like this, we have been. Good. D- g- Welcome to the conversation, buddy. Thanks for making there's something about Mary twenty years ago and now joining us. Like. Yikes! You're out of date. Josh, you're so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Finally, we're all at the same table here. But maybe then, if there is 
is something good to be taken from this conversation is that maybe if this film helps bring the older generation of liberals to the newer generation of liberals and puts us all at the same table to have a conversation, then maybe it does some good. Mm -hmm. Because if we're open to listen to both sides of that, because I would love to have a conversation with somebody who loved Green Book and doesn't care that it's a white savior film and doesn't care about those elements, but just wants to talk about how it's helping show a positive thing to, of race, a positive element of overcoming racism. I'm open to hear that conversation. Sorry, if you show this movie to like a 12-year-old as their first experience to what overcoming racism should and can look like, great! But not as part of a nuanced, in-depth conversation. I don't think this film is any more in-depth than a film like Remember the Titans, which I love to death. But like, I was 12. Like, that was the first time somebody was like, wait a minute, what? The racism in America happened? Huh! Mine was The Proud Family. Yeah, like... There are... Maybe Green Book should just be for kids. Like, <laughs> maybe not, but also... That's the level of discourse it wants to have as a film. Yeah, and I I think that... What's interesting about this film is that Peter Fairley, as controversy comes out, he takes less and less credit for things that are chosen for this film. Yes. Because, like, a big a thing that he has said in an interview was that it was Octavia Spencer who convinced him to keep the name Green Book. Because she had said, no, people need to know what the Green Book was. Yeah. Um, and so, like, he, he, he keeps... Do you know what he wanted to change it to? No. Oh, okay. He just he was just like, I don't know if it should be this. Right. Like, is this the central theme I should be doing? Um, it's not. It's not his central theme. No. But I'm glad that she at least spoke up for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, go on. And so I'm also interested to... I don't really have... I didn't do a ton of research on this. Shocking. I had one day to sit with it. I looked up. I read one whole article, and I said, "Oh, it's bedtime." <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but I would wonder. I want to know what Mahershala Ali was kind of. And the one, the th one thing that I read was it was mostly about the family and the family's perspective, and that when he. When the controversy came out from the family, he apologized to the family. He was like, I'm really sorry that this was an incorrect portrayal of your family member. Yeah. I want to know what his, like, his kind of thoughts of going into this were. And because you can read a script, right? You read your script yeah. and you get to set and you're like, all right, I'm ready to do this, these lines. But the director also can have influence on that script and what you yeah. do with it. And so, like... I, I am curious at how, he, like, what his thoughts on everything that happened was. And when you're presented with an opportunity, for the most part, I think Mahershala has been pretty bulletproof in this conversation. I think it's, he's the front runner right now for best supporting actor. He's good! Um, he's really good in the movie. Good performance. Um, I also think Vigo's good in the movie. I don't think, like, it's an Oscar-worthy performance, but, I, like... I've mocked Vigo's performance through this thing because I don't think, Vigo, this is not a great Vigo Mortensen performance. This is a caricature. He's literally, like I said, playing Mario. It's because he folds his pizza in half and yeah. takes a bite out of it. That's yeah. why he got not Oscars. A third of his yes. performance is eating in this film. <laughs> I mean, everybody's dream, right? Everybody's dream. Brad Pitt was just like, oh, why didn't I get this part? Like, I want to eat. Uh... 
Do you not know this? No. Brad Pitt's, like, there's the whole, like, subplot of Brad Pitt's career where every time he can, he's always eating on camera. And he specifically, in Ocean's Eleven, was like, hey, Soderbergh, I'm going to be eating in every shot. And he, Soderbergh's like, all right, I guess fine. <laughs> um, Mahershala, I think, is interesting in the role because I agree with you that I think when he, I think he was presented with this role, and I'm glad that he apologized for, like, he didn't know that it wasn't real. But when you're looking at this role, you're like, I could probably do some good with this role. And, and I don't blame him or anybody for taking the work that's presented in front of him, you know? And, and I don't even think that there's anything wrong with Mahershala playing the part. Like I said, this being a part of the conversation is a good thing. So, as for Mahershala, I'm glad that he's aware, and I'm glad that he has apologized, but that's about the extent of what I would say that he would need to know or do, or, you know, other than that, I'm just like, I want to be involved with this project. This seems like a good project that a studio is making, and I'm glad to be a part of it. And I made money when I made Alita Bandle Angel. So, So now I want to make art. I also wonder if, and I don't know when specifically this was filmed or made, but I'm wondering if maybe he... I'm wondering if this was before or did after Moonlight. Did he make Moonlight. the deal before or after his win? Yes, you know, and so when did he, when was this filmed? When did he need to make it? Like, that was the whole question in there as well. Um, we haven't talked a lot about the contextual issues of the film yet. And so I just wanted to run through them in somewhat of a chronological order because when this film film kind of debuted at Toronto Film Festival, so what this film has in its corner right now is it de- debuted at Toronto Film Festival to pretty rave reviews from the populace audience. Critics have been pretty mishmash on this film, pretty panned, pretty middle of the road. But what this did win is it won the Audience Award at TIFF. And the Audience Award winner for, I'm going to misquote this, so you all should go look up the actual fact, but I'm pretty sure it's like the last 10 years has matched Best Picture. So What's thi- TIFF Toronto International Film Festival? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> everyone was like, this thing? This one? All right. And so it... When is TIFF? It usually happens in September. So around the time we saw The Predator, all of those interviews were taking place at TIFF. Mm. Yeah. So it's like... Doesn't the, seem correct. It's like the kickoff of... Had they not seen any other... Fi- was Green Book the only film playing? No, but like all the big ones were there. And so it was a surprise. It was a very surprise win there. And so everyone, everyone was like, oh, well, I guess TIFF's just wrong this year. It's not gonna... And then the film just kept building and building and building because it's connecting with a generation, with an older generation. So then the first kind of ding against it comes out is that during an interview, Vigo Vigo oversteps a boundary and uses the N-word to describe why using the N-word is wrong. And you can visibly watch Mahershala Ali feel uncomfortable on stage. And like he then they have a conversation like about why it's probably not even good for you to use in that context, Vigo. Um, and so then there, but then they kind of like that washes over because like Vigo apologizes, you know, said he's like, I won't do it again, like did it out of ignorance, Mahershala forgives, 
all good. It's just like, like, you know. Why isn't this the film? Why isn't the film about this interview and how they overcame it? Yeah. Oh! There you go. John! Green Book 2. I just made a better... No, no, (laughs) no. I've made a better film. I'm going to get them to play their roles again. Okay, good. Perfect. Will you help me write it? Yeah, absolutely. Except for, we're not going to write it. We're going to get better people to write it. We're going to get Mahershala and Vigo to actually write it. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So then, next thing that comes out that I'm aware of is Nick Vallelonga, who is one of a three-person team who writes the script. And the son. And the son of Tony Vallelonga. Um, in the film. So he then is connected to some old tweets. Also, everyone, delete your tweets. Um, and they're not even that old. They're from 2016. But, all right, fair. He is connected to tweeting at Donald Trump saying in support of his quote-unquote Muslim ban that he, Nick Vallelonga, saw at the mosque, uh, at a mosque in New York City during 9-11, that people, that the Muslims at the church were, at the synagogue were, no, no, mosque, sorry. The Muslims at the mosque were... I'm really struggling through this. I am. Uh, were celebrating 9-11. And so he is perpetuating this stereotype that anybody who is a Muslim is also a terrorist and he's tweeting it in support of Donald Trump's Muslim band. And he's been a very loud, vocal racist in support of Donald Trump. <sighs> and then, uh, which to I'm me... so done! Which to me is the biggest offense of this movie. I don't, like, Nick Vallelonga, Oscar nominee... 2019. Um, Twice over, because I'm pretty sure he's also on the producing team. So then, with the other thing that comes out is, I think, lesser, but then just in its... This is, I think, what kind of sinks Peter Fairley. So Peter Fairley, if you're not aware of who he is as a director, he's one half of the directing team of the Fairley brothers that have did stuff like There's Something About Mary and Dumb and Dumber and Stuck on You and... Lots of really raunchy, kind of not great, problematic comedies. I'm not saying that Dumb and Dumber or fits in that category, but this is probably his biggest film. The biggest known film. So he's trying to pull the Adam McKay, which is switch from comedy to drama. And he makes this film, and it's totally fine. He's getting lots of awards and stuff like that. But then as it comes out that, like... In 1998, I believe this is when the story is in, um, I want to say it's it's either Entertainment Weekly or it's Vanity Fair. It's one of them where, like, there's an old story of him going around being like, yeah, as a prank, me and my brother on set will, and like, flash everybody. Ha ha ha! Good old prank times. And of course, like, people, male and female, have been like, this was really uncomfortable, but they were the directors, we didn't know what to do. Um, and, like... Yeah, you don't really have, like, an HR yeah, in Hollywood. Like, what if I became... Hollywood's HR? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. All right. Yeah. All right, everyone, tweet at me your problems, and I will fix them. <laughs> Good. Thank you. I'm glad that you're on the job. <laughs> so Peter Fairley has been like, yes, this is a true story. Yes, I said it in this interview. Yes, we used to do it. And he's like, 
I'm sorry. It's not appropriate. We, he owned it in every way, shape, or form. And he's like, it was a different time. We wouldn't do it now. We are, we've grown up. We were young, immature men. And we apologize for that. And I think that, to me, like, owning your mistakes is a huge deal. I wouldn't ever vilify Peter Fairley in that same way that I just vilified Nick Balalonga because, like, Peter Fairley's owning it. And, like, yeah, no, maybe he shouldn't have done it. And, sure, if his punishment is... He's not nominated for an Oscar for this one. Great, fine. If he does something else in the future, I'm not like I'm not gonna hold that against him per se. Shouldn't have done it, but also apologize for it and is a different person now. So there's that. But that's the cultural context around Green Book and why it is also a problematic film in terms of its creators, but also in terms of as we talked about it being a white savior film. I, I want to say something, yeah. however, yeah. that this film, I don't know if it does it all the way right, but it tries to at least Agreed. do. There is something that, that, so we're talking about this idea of the white savior, savior film, which I won't disagree that this is not one. You won't disagree that it is not one? <laughs> or you won't disagree that it is one? I won't disagree with your statement. Okay, perfect. Okay. Grammar's hard. Um, Grammar is hard. No that's worries. why I only can do it when it's written. <laughs> um, the thing that this film, I think, at least tries to do at times is, like, when there are moments of Tony... Like, the one that I think about is where he pays off the cops. Mm-hmm. Um, where he goes and he does that. White savior moment, right? Yeah. Well, then Mahershala Ali calls him out for yeah, it. Yeah, fair. And so at least, like, it's not 100% perfect. Yeah. But it is at times, almost, almost playing on that. Like, like we should look at Vigo and be like, whew, he got us out of that tough situation. Good job. And then Mahershala Ali's like, no, what you did was wrong still. Like, yeah. your method still incorrect. And I, the fact that it does that, I was like, all right, maybe we did something. Well, I... Th- I agree with you in that sentence, but this is where I'm going to need a little bit of help and clarification for it because I don't know if Tony ever learns that lesson. Because, like, we as an audience might learn that lesson, Mm -hmm. but if Tony is there, because later in the film, if I'm right, I believe this is later in the film. Okay, go, uh, try it. Where Tony punches the cop and they end up in jail. Mm -hmm. That's after where where he pays him off? Yeah. Okay. Because in that moment, then... Don Shirley gives a speech about if you had just done it my way, if you had just not punched the cop, and and basically Don Shirley is saying, let me take some of this abuse, we would still be on the road. But you did it your way, and we ended up here in jail. I will say he may learn it at the end. That, that was going to be my follow-up question. We're, was, in, yeah. the, we're in the um, restaurant. Yeah. His first, Tony's first initial thing uh, when the maitre d's like, no, he can't eat in this restaurant, he pushes up him up against the wall. Right. So his first instinct is violence. And then okay. Mahershala Ali's like, no, don't do that. Yeah. And Tony's like, oh, you know, you're right. Okay, so there so, is a learned moment. Yes, okay. so there okay. is a bit of a like, oh, we okay. see a growth. Cool. That was what I wanted to double check, was like, is that an actual arc that Tony learns in the film? Mm-hmm. And it, it is, so I'm glad that it's there. And even to the point of like, the thing was like, um, 
Mer- Tony makes things like uh, uh, comments like, "Yeah, we'll go to a motel and I'll sneak you into my room." And Mahershala Ali's, uh, Ali's like, "No, we're not gonna go to a place that doesn't that w- would not serve me. Yeah. We, we're not gonna go to a place like that." And so when it comes to that restaurant, Tony's like, "You're not gonna let him in the dining room?" Then no, like, because he's like, uh, "Tony, do you want me to play?" And he's like, "No, Don, I don't want you to play here." Yeah. And so like, I mean. I will say that Tony's change. Yeah. There is a change in Tony. It's not very difficult for him to get to that change, however. Like, there's no internal conflict that we see within the film. And so, like, the film itself is just, like, it's very easy. Yeah. So, I agree with you that, like, it does take steps. And Mm -hmm. it it is trying some things. I don't think it's quite all the way there. That's why, like, even I think on Letterboxd, my review is, like, two and a half stars. I don't hate this film. I actually think it's probably somewhat worthwhile to watch. If it's on, like, on a Sunday afternoon on TBS, you could do worse than watching Green Book. So Sunday Um, film. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Like... You really could do worse than Green Book. It's on the it's on Field of Streams with <laughs> Kevin Costner films because like it's like the it's like the moment where he breaks down Stop the it. bathroom Stop sign it. and he ended <laughs> racism. Figures. Yeah, it's the double figures, double feature with hidden figures. <laughs> I think Hidden Figures is a really good film that we haven't brought up in this whole conversation. <laughs> Matt just did. About, no, I'm glad that you did. About, like, how, because that film kind of missed this conversation. And I think in a, in so many ways, Green Book and Hidden Figures are very similar movies in tone and in like budget and in what they want to do in terms of the conversation and like in so many ways but like by making even that simple twist of putting Kevin Costner as the supporting character and um is it is it Taraji is she the lead of that Taraji Taraji B. Henson as the lead of that movie and we're seeing it through her point of view her and Octavia and Janelle Monet, like that simple switch allows you to make a really tonally similar movie that the same generation of people got behind and yet it's not wrapped up in this conversation. I think your point very back at the beginning of this Green Book conversation about if they would have dealt more with Don Shirley and less with Tony Vallelonga, the film probably would have been better off for it. All right. Well, I think we've solved racism yeah, here yeah. on this episode. Yeah. Much like... Green Book. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't at all. We had a conversation about racism. And I don't know if we... <laughs> the only solutions that we offered were uh, let Barry Jenkins make more movies and Spike Lee. Great. Oh, wait, no, no, no. The 13th oh. lady. What's uh, her uh, name? Ava DuVernay. Ava, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Great. Perfect. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Yeah. Great. Ready? <laughs> Ready for the Planet Hollywood game? <laughs> well, I'm glad we narrowed it down to three. Not even Spike Lee. Did We didn't give him any more film? I said Spike Lee. Oh, gosh. I said Spike. Maybe I wasn't paying attention I to I had you. Barry and Spike. Okay. I don't like that look on your face. <laughs> I think this one's going to be the better of the two options. Okay. 
what are names of movies with royals in the title? The Royal Tenenbaums. No, like royals as in like like the royal family. Ready? Like 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 kings and queens? Yes. But the British? Yes. Or, or Scottish, who knows. Yeah, but like the the royal family. Like in the name yeah. of the title, not yes. just in the film. Yes. Mary Queen of Scots. Elizabeth. The king's speech. Sure, I'll count it. <laughs> the queen cuz I want to do that one. What are your best pictures? <laughs> Movie detectives have been better? Oh, yeah! Okay, movie detectives. Detective Pikachu. <laughs> Sam Spade. Sherlock! Oh, shoot. Sorry, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Basil Rathbone. Sherlock Gnomes! That's the same franchise! Nope, nope, That's nope, the same nope. franchise! One is Sherlock judges, Holmes. Judges, judges. And one of them is from the Gnomeo and Juliet cinematic universe. Hey everybody, if you want to listen to Ducks Watch together, you can do so. Batman! <laughs> Batman was my the next one! The world's greatest detective! <laughs> Batman! Detective Comics. You can do so at <laughs> friendofafriendpodcast.squarespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. We can give us a five star review or any star review. We'll read it out here. We'll also read any of your comments on any of our platforms. You can also find uh, hit that subscribe button. Why did you start with Detective Pikachu? Yo, you have a ton of noir films in your back pocket? No, did they all just. Yeah. Sam Spade. No, there no, I got one. No, no, I want. I already said Sam Spade in the thing. Sorry, I was paying um, attention. I know to you know. weren't. <laughs> I was, I the Grace Mouse Detective. I said him too. Oh man, yes. I was not paying attention to what you said. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, Josh, I'm gonna work on active listening. <laughs> I started with Detective Pikachu because I wanted to take it from you because I thought it was what you were going to go with first. Of course, Josh. Josh, how could I forget about the world's greatest detective? Yeah, I know. And the greatest cinematic universe. Hit that subscribe button. You can also also find us on Facebook at Friend of a Friend Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at... DWT underscore podcast. You can find us on YouTube. Ducks at Watch Together. Tumblers. Ducks Watch Together. Letterboxd. Darby and Gally Gallagher. Thank you so much for listening. I've been. Josh. Uh, hey. <laughs> Are you her cute pillow? Quack, 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 no, quack, 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 to... quack, quack, quack. I was trying quack, to do quack, Italian. Quack, quack, I was going to be quack, Mario quack, Mario. Quack, quack. Oh, you should have been. That I tried. Good. You started quacking at me. Go, go no, for it's it. too late. It's too late. The episode ended. Hey! <laughs> I'll rough him up. I'm t- You're Mario. I'm Tommy Lip. Just one word, lip. The lip. Tommy Lip. Quack, quack, quack. <laughs>